This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day everyone, welcome to the Sports Ethos New Orleans Pelicans podcast. All-star break is upon us, uh, this is the sportsethos.com presentation. I'm your host Lyle Swithenbank at Ethos Pelicans on Twitter, at Lyle Swithenbank. And you know, as I sort of leapt straight into, the all-star break is upon us and I couldn't recap two-thirds of a season. Yes, two-thirds. <laughs> Remember where we are in the calendar. So I'm joined by the fantastic David Grubb. You know him from all over. He, he guides us through what well, the bird rights. He's at uh, well, the Pelican Scoop. He's, he's hard in the paint. The man of many hats and, and many roles, but uh, many uh, different stories. I think you're a great storyteller as well. David, how are you going? Hey, uh, it's fantastic to be with you, man. I've, I've watched, you know, as you've gotten into the, the Pelicans community and, and grown in it, and it's been really cool because you know the people that i enjoy the most because i you know i'm 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 not a gatekeeper i think there are a lot of people who want to be gatekeepers and i don't want to be a gatekeeper for anything that people love and there's a genuine love that that comes through in a quality that you love basketball and you love the pelicans and and you know i'm a little different in how i i deliver than you do but you know the consistency the same thing is like if you love the game you know you can always start from that place with people if there's a genuine love of the game then then we probably would get along there for sure and i think that um, basketball really has i think become quite a global game particularly i think in the last maybe 20 years particularly i think with the social media and um you know the internet and the like like i'm sitting in perth at the moment it's 6 a.m like you you know you're in uh, in the u.s like yeah 14 hours behind you know uh, it's it's crazy that people can from all over the world can connect and, and talk about a game based in a, a pretty small market in New Orleans and uh, it, it is lovely to be a part of and uh, I mean the Pelicans community for the most part you know is is a, a wonderful little fan base and everyone 
I think the baseline we can draw is that everyone is doing it because they love the team. Whether, you know, you're saying trade this person or you're saying, you know, we need to do this or fire them or do something. I think it's because they want their team to win. <laughs> you know? and, and I think that has to be the baseline in every, uh, every uh, consideration when you see someone tweet something crazy or, uh, or I'm standing, uh, you know, in a dressing gown walking down the stairs in the morning to watch the basketball. But um, so I suppose to, to dive straight in where... 30 and 29, we've hit the all-star break. The guys have eight games off. What has been your, I suppose, high-level overarching view of this season so far? Two-thirds in, what, 60-odd games? I think we've got 23 to go. I think the thing that that is most concerning, um, just in comparison to last year, you know, I think we all came in from the end of last season going into this season, I think... My expectations are reasonable. I, I, I thought the Pelicans would win between 43 and 45 games, um, finish top six in the West, and you know likely win a first-round series and challenge somebody in the second. Those are my preseason expectations. They're still in position to do that. All of those things are still on the table. But the way that they've gotten to 30 and 29, I think is the part that concerns people because – you still don't really have an offensive identity for this team. Uh, what they are, besides that they want to play fast. That's all we know. You know, when you look at the Pelicans, as far as philosophy goes. We want 0.5. That's a philosophy that's not a plan. You know what I mean? That's not a plan when we see on a day-to-day basis. So I think that's something that's been concerning. And I think you you look at this team overall, and, and of course the injuries are the ultimate theme for this franchise and this team, is that you've come to a point at 30 and 29 – who can you count on on this roster? And that is a legitimate question that you have to ask um, for this team as it goes down to the stretch. You get 23 games left. You know Zion won't be around for probably 8 to 10 of those. Let's be realistic and, and say that number, 8 to 10. He won't yeah. be there for. How many more does Brandon yeah. Ingram miss? At least. How many more does C.J. McCollum miss? If he misses four to five games down the stretch just for rest purposes. If, if Brandon misses four to five games, back-to-backs or, you know, things like that, soreness, whatever, how many more games are you giving up over the course of the rest of the season? And then in comparison to these other teams that made moves, now are the Pelicans in position to be in that top six? It's a lot harder. Now you feel more likely that they're a seven through ten team, which means you may not get to the playoffs at all. And if the Pelicans don't get to the playoffs, even if they have a winning record this season, then you have to t- consider this a step backwards from the previous year. Yeah, I, honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head. And even with, you know, the hot start, and obviously Zion was fantastic for, what does he played, I think, 29 or 30 games or something this season. Um, it's all well and good to get that in in a smattering. You know, you get you get like a little taster of it, and it's just enough that everyone goes, we've got something really special here. But... Then when you've got your big three that, you know, we've got the cover of Slam magazine and we've got, you know, right at the start of the big three and they've played 10 games together, it makes it very hard to, you know, support a dream. Do you know, at the moment we're getting sold a pipe dream, which is look how good we could be. And until I see that on the court and consistently see the winning, it is so hard to put your 100% faith into that, uh, into that team and into those big three, because, like you said, if someone misses 
the game. It's not that they like have one off. It's like for the usually it's two or three, and it's like oh, so this guy's you know he's hurt his ankle, and that's going to be two to three games, um, you know, or he's going to have a night off unexpectedly. And it, when you're already undermanned because you're missing two of your great players, and then you know CJ has a night off for rest purposes, you really put the team under stress. And that next man up mentality becomes very, very apparent. And all of a sudden you're on a 10 game losing streak because guys that aren't accustomed to playing in that big role are now playing 35 to 40 minutes a night, having to score 20 to 25. And, and that's not what they what they do. Um, and I, I, it was difficult watching that 10 game losing streak because it really was... It was obvious what was wrong. And like it does, like the personnel wasn't there. What were your takes in the doldrums? Of, well, I mean, to me, it was just the same problems that I identified prior to the season just coming to a head. Yeah. Because once you take Zion or BI off the floor, the two biggest weaknesses on this team get exposed. And that's their lack of interior presence yeah. as defensively. However, you want to phrase it. If you want to call it rim protection, um, you know, whatever you want to say, they, they don't protect the paint well. They don't defend the paint, whether it's penetration by guards, finishing by bigs, rebounding. Right now, they are getting exposed week in and week out. Not game in and game weekend. Like this is an ongoing pattern going back to the start of, yeah. of January till now. We've seen this consistently. The other part is they don't defend point guards well because they don't have one. The Melkins don't have a point guard on the roster. Mm-hmm. We could talk about Jose. But Jose is really not a creator for other people. What's Jose's biggest assist total in the last month and a half? Maybe four? Oh, maybe? Yeah, probably. Yeah, Jose has maybe. become a much more of a shooter. And I only say that as taking attempts. Like, his shooting was percentage was really high at the beginning of the season, but it's tailed off considerably. You know, Jose has not been delivering the same kind of, since that 38-point game. We've not seen the same Jose. We've seen a couple of really good games out of him, but, you know, night in and night out, no. So those two big problems, you see it. You see they can't defend a guy like SGA. You can't yeah. defend on a nightly basis guards who are really quick and, and, and know how to, to penetrate. And we've seen that over and over again with this Pelicans team. And it puts, like you talk about those unfair burdens, you've asked CJ McCollum, and he's been admirable as a creator for other people. Yeah. But he's supposed to be a secondary creator. A guy who you run the pick and roll through late in the yeah. offense. A guy who in fast break or transition can, can pass the ball. But he's not supposed to be running half-court sets. And it doesn't work. Mm. And so, yeah, that's what we've seen. You know, that's what we saw during the 10-game losing streak. That's what we see now when you when they lose to the Lakers, when they, when they go down to the wire one possession after they had a 20-point lead against the Thunder. Those things... <laughs> are consistent and and you also have to look at has willie green developed himself and i don't say that just to put the onus on willie has the organization given him the room to grow as a coach do his assistants bring enough to the table all those questions are legitimate questions i think because when you look at the Pelicans strategically i don't think anyone is going to say that they have a strategic advantage over another team in the league and in a seven game series do you think that Willie is going to provide you with a coaching advantage in any of the areas that we look for a head coach in a playoff series to do it? Is he going to manage rotations better than another coach? I don't I don't think we're going to nobody's going to call Willie a master rotation manager at this stage. After timeout situations, we're not going to call Willie a genius at doing that at this stage. It's the second year. I'm not trying to degrade the man, 
But what I'm saying is the, the honest facts here. So his dependency on veterans, those types of things, his, his leaning and, and his resistance to change at times. Like, I don't view Willie as a rigid guy, but he is resistant to change. He trusts maybe too much at times. And I think that that can be a problem. But you don't have a veteran on that coaching staff who's going to check Willie. You know what I mean? Who's that guy who's going to be like, dude, you can't do that. That, that. That's not going to work. Let's do this, coach. Because he doesn't have enough tendencies. He doesn't have enough of a relationship. All these are, you know, there's none of those things exist. And this is why most first-time coaches end up getting fired in the NBA and any other league. Yeah. Most first-time coaches don't make it a long time. And I think that this shows, and I hope I'm not getting too off target, but this shows how David Griffin messed this up in the beginning. Because if you were going to try the new coach, you do it when you start with the new players. Now your timetable, you're four years into Zion Williamson, four years into Brandon Ingram. You have no playoff series wins, no winning seasons. And you have a coach who's in his second year still trying to figure things out. I think the Pelicans are behind the curve because of that. And I think that's a thing that's impacting Willie Green negatively. Yeah, do you know, I, I, the way you set that out, I think was perfect because well, I've talked about this with a few people in, you know, Willie Green, he's a second year head coach, brand new to his career. You know, he's, he's been dealt a pretty um, average hand in terms of just injuries alone. There's never really been a consistent sort of roster that he's got to mold himself. It's been, this is the players, we're going to play this style. Um, we had a roster that we put in place for Stan. We then need to backtrack on that. We'll give you this roster. Then, you know, Zion's injured. Um, you're then bringing Zion in. He's then injured again. Um, but basically, all of the assistants have been holdovers, I think, except... Um, Collins and... Um, uh, what's his name? That sits along. And, yeah, um, Collins. Kevin, yeah. Uh, uh, um, what's his name? Oh, the, the, the other assistant. I'm trying to remember his name. I'm forgetting right now, but his dad um, was coaching the league, and I'm forgetting yeah, his name. but, you know... There's only a couple that have come through. A lot of them have been holdovers. And when that happens, you know, there's not... I always see with some of the younger coaches, they bring in like an experienced head coach who is like the associate head coach who sort of just sits in the in the wings and, you know, he'll be there. And if you, the young coach gets thrown out, that guy steps in and says, hang on, we'll just... We'll do it this way. Um, and you often see they become the... Uh, the... Uh, like the standing head coach when that young coach gets fired and um i don't feel like willie green has that you know experience safe pair of hands that he can just turn to and and um and say what should we do here you know this is something that i haven't come across or this is something that i think this can you know bounce ideas and when you don't have that um you know that voice that's seen different things they don't have to necessarily have been a fantastic head coach in their own right but just have been around the league you know, Mike Brown now is back coaching the Kings. He spent a lot of time as an assistant. Alvin Gentry's doing it again. Um, you know, we tried to go get Mike D'Antoni and he sits as his consultant role. But that's so difficult because he's not there on the bench. He's not in the trenches with you. Uh, you know, Mike rolls in in, in his, um, you know, khaki shorts and will say, yeah, how's it going? You know, we're, we're running pretty well. And then he'll go back to wherever he's, he's living, you know, and that makes it so difficult because... We have that pseudo relationship for him, but not the actual support day in, day out. And I think that could absolutely benefit him. And that's not to discredit the assistance that we have, but it makes it so difficult when, you know, you've got two or three guys on that on that bench that also gunned for your job. 
So you've got guys sitting there, you know, I'm sure they all get along perfectly, that are also auditioning for their own head coach jobs. And who so their agendas are also... situations. Good. You know, yeah. like the, the examples that, that I think you look at the most for first-time coaches, Pat Riley. You go back to Pat Riley in 1980, you know, 82 when he takes over the Lakers, 83, whatever. Yeah. Jerry West sat on the bench with him until they felt like he was ready to handle things. You look at Phil Jackson. When he got his first head coaching job, he gets the Bulls. Who do they put around him? Tex Winter and John Bach. Two lifetime NBA coaches. Guys who were in their 60s already. They were old when they started the Bulls run. You know, and and they went with Phil all the way to the Lakers and whatnot. I think that you, yeah, you that that having a veteran around who's been in that situation, who also isn't, like you said, doesn't have the aspirational goal at that point in their career of yeah. being a head coach. They just love basketball. They just want to be around the game, teach the game, improve a team. And that's what they want to do. And they and they also have enough chips on the table they can say whatever the hell they want. And they, they're not yeah. afraid of, of, of what's going to happen to them. And that's not to say anybody's afraid of Willie or whatever, but if you weren't hired by Willie yeah. Green, which as you say, like, like as you pointed out, a lot of these coaches were holdovers. If you weren't hired by Willie Green, then I don't answer to Willie Green. My boss is not Willie Green. Mm. No matter how much he is my direct person that I deal with, you didn't hire me. And mm. anybody in any job, in any locale, you know the person who has the authority over your job. And that you treat that person differently than somebody who doesn't. And I think that, that that is part of the relationship that gets developed in a coaching staff is that, yeah, there has to be the head guy in charge, the head person in charge. And if Willie doesn't yeah. have that power, if it doesn't feel like Willie's got the power of the rotations, which, again, that goes back to something that was openly stated by David Griffin, that he, no matter who he hired a coach, he was going to have influence over the roster, the rotations, all those things. If that's the case, I don't know how with a young team in particular, if everybody knows you're not the guy, and we hear the thing about the Pelicans we're hearing now is accountability is the issue for some of the young guys. David Griffin said it on television Last night, the young guys don't know when to speak up and hold yeah. each other accountable. In a locker room where everyone is certain of their standing, is that the case? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? You know, speaking on David Griffin, having that uh, that little insight during the second quarter last game, I thought that was great, honestly. We got, did get a, a couple little tidbits from, uh, from him, and, and one of them that stuck with me is... They're not doing what they're supposed to do. When they were playing, I think in the second quarter, they sort of let the um, the lead just get out of control. And um, he was saying, well, the guys aren't doing what they're meant to do. And, and that, to me, when your general manager is saying, you know, that the players aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's like, how much input does he have into what they are meant to be doing? Because, yeah, okay, they're, they're, they were still running sets. They were turning the ball over. But... It wasn't like they were completely, you know, stagnant and, you know, not moving and not passing the ball. It was just poor execution. And so when you've got a guy like that that is the head of, of the organisation uh, saying that they're not doing what they're doing, they need to be communicating with each other better, you're going, well, how much input does he have over the top of the head coach and does the buck stop with Willie? And, you know, from what we've seen, it, I don't think it does. And, and and that's what makes it so difficult. Um, I mean, 
it's tough, but it is great to unpack these sorts of things because they are concepts that you don't get to until you've got a decent sample size. And I think that's the hard part is that it's not, again, it's not to rag Willie out. I think he has the, the makings of a great coach. I think he has these fundamental values that are so imperative in a coach. And I think he commands, uh, you know, the respect of players, having been one himself. It's just now getting that other side, the the X's and O's, the uh, you know the ATOs, things like that. That the, the the tactical side needs to sort of catch up to his actual relationship building side, and and that just comes with reps and, and seeing different things thrown at you. Um, I suppose changing tact a bit. Um, the superstars that we've seen, we've seen Brandon come back. Um, you know, come average thirty a game over the last. Five, I think I would have dropped off after last night. He had 25, but took him a little bit to get back into it. How big is his impact this season? I suppose not being there and then being there. And then what are your thoughts going forward? And, and can he take us there like he did last year to the playoffs? You either Right now, it feels like you either have to do it one way or the other. Like you can't do and with the Pelicans yeah. right now. And for B.I., like, we know he can score. And before the season, I, I, I thought yeah. BA, B.I. had a legitimate chance if he stayed healthy to make third-team All-NBA this year. You know, uh, you know that's presuming the guys who are at the top stay at the top. And for the most part, they yeah. have. I thought B.I. had a chance to be on that third rung, you know, legitimately. I thought he could average, you know, 25, 26 mm-hmm. points, six boards, five assists, you know, do that, shoot a – Shoot 48% from the field. Forty. I thought he had a chance to be a 50-40-90 guy. Legitimately. Um, and I, I don't think that that's out of the range, you know, a possibility still. But when you miss this many games, like, like that's the hard part. Because we know, you know, essentially this team was a 500 team last year once CJ came. Basically they're a 500 team. Yeah. They've been basically a 500 team since then. You know, they're one game over 500 right now. So as we look at this team, it's like even with BI on the court, yeah, they can challenge people and they can they can be tough. But we the same flaws were there against the Suns in the playoffs last year. In those six games, like we 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 look at it fondly in those six games, but we forget the things too that that happened in those six games. That Devin Booker missed four of those. You know. That that series, yeah. and we forget how bad they were inside defensively, and that DeAndre Ayton and JaVale McGee destroyed them inside in all what, five of the six games, essentially. Um, so, you know, B.I. can do what he can do. He can make you competitive on a nightly basis. But if they don't have the other things in place, you saw it last night, it doesn't matter if he scores 30. It doesn't matter if they're not going to defend if they're going to turn the ball over in transition or if the way he scores 30 requires him to dribble eight, nine times before he gets a shot off. We know that's not a good B.I. When Brandon Ingram is taking two dribbles and pulling up or Brandon Ingram is taking two dribbles and going to the basket and finishing, catching and shooting, that's the B.I. we love. But when B.I. is pounding the rock, we saw that B.I. two years ago under Stan Van Gundy, and we hated that team because that was the B.I. who couldn't close in the fourth. That was the B.I. who shot you out of games just as quickly as he shot you into them. Last year, we thought during that last 30, 40 games, he had figured it out, that he was starting to figure out what it means to be legitimately a franchise player. He was going through the steps. He had gone from figuring out to score his first year, second year trying to figure it out with Zion because they were healthy together, 
Last year, without Zion, he grows as an individual. This seemed like the next progression this season. And when you miss the games that he has, you're back to wondering with B.I., are you going to be a player or are you going to be a superstar? Because there's a lot of guys who got 25 points in this league. We look at, I mean, look at the scoring right now. There's a lot of guys on bad teams at 25 points in this league. Yeah. Brandon Ingram yeah. is always going to be a very good player. But are the Pelicans going to do the things that if Zion's not out, can Brandon be a legitimate plan B? Because the ceiling is the highest for Zion. Zion is the guy who, can, who could win you a championship as a 1A player if that's what he develops into. You know, again, you've only seen him for 30 games this season. So you can't project it. You can't say for certain. But talent-wise, you know he's the highest ceiling. B.I., I think, could be the best player on a championship team. But you better make sure your other options are solid. And for him, he's not enough of an impact player defensively to be that guy yet. Yet. I still give Brandon time. But the Pelicans may not have that time. That's the thing. Is do you have enough time to wait for all these things, these perfect circumstances like you talked about, that everything has to come together. You got to cross your fingers, close your eyes, say your prayers, make a wish under a falling star, and hope that the conditions are right for 82 games plus four rounds of playoffs for this team. And, I mean, that's bigger than Brandon Ingram. No matter what, he's going to put up numbers. But is that what the goal is here? Is that what we're doing in this exercise? Because that's not the point. That's not why you built this basketball team was for Brandon Ingram to make all-star teams. That ain't the goal. I don't care if Brandon Ingram never makes an all-star team if the Pelicans are making deep runs into the playoffs. You know, and that's, I think, where people get caught up in those little accolades. Why isn't B.I. getting recognized? Why isn't Zion? You get recognized when you win, win, win. Do that. And I think that's the biggest thing for these Pelicans. And part of that is on B.I. He's got to make himself. Sometimes the reason we we view great players the way we do is because they did things when it was really uncomfortable. We've seen Kobe Bryant play. We saw him play with broken fingers and dislocated shoulders and We've seen guys play with toes and Kevin, Kevin Garnett being out there. You know, we saw Kevin Durant out there trying with the, the Achilles, all these things. These guys, Klay Thompson playing with the knee messed up. B.I. doesn't have that story yet. And there's a question about whether or not yeah. he'll, he's willing to do it. I'm not going to answer that. I'm not in the huddle with him. I'm not in the gym with him. All we can do is talk about what the post product is. And right now... B.I. is in a group with a lot of players in this league. He's an excellent perimeter player who could be better on defense and can win games when he gets hot, but you better have support. How many guys can you say that for in this league? There's a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always that conversation around the league, I suppose, by fans saying, oh, we should go and get this guy because he doesn't have the support there. You know, look how good he could be. You know, I think SGA is a perfect example where they're like, look how good he could be on any team. And you're a bit like, well, it's also designed completely to give him 30 shots a game. So he's getting, you know, 30 points because he doesn't have any accountability if he fails. It's just like, well, if we lose, we lose. We're getting a draft pick anyway. Um, You know, he is in that same sort of level. And I think BI has the potential to be one of those upper, you know, those top players, the ones that control the league. Was there 15 players, I reckon, that control the league um, and, and the winning of the league? And he has the opportunity to be that type, but we also need to be able to build a team around him and make sure that 
the deficiencies that he has in his team, uh, in his game, are hidden by the complementary pieces. And what makes it so hard is that we've got a really young team at the moment who have a whole heap of guys that have the potential to cover those holes, but it's not there yet. So when you plug him in, and then all of a sudden, like the Lakers did, they just threw Vanderbilt at Brandon and then whoever else, and it was just like, just let anyone else beat us. You don't have that next guy because Zion's not there to step up and say, all right, B.I., play off me, and you'll get your 30, and we're going to get a W because I'll take the heat. And I think that's what makes it so tricky and frustrating because the player's sitting there. He's just sitting over on the bench in his tracksuit, which is <laughs> so, so frustrating And it's hard when, when your team um, doesn't give you a strategic advantage and make things easier for you. Yeah. The Pelicans exactly. don't generate easy looks because of their offense because there is no real offense. Yeah. I don't know what they do well. They don't run the pick and roll a lot. They don't. Mm. We know that they don't throw it into the post a lot. Because I mean, we could do. You could do just a show that. <laughs> on the games in which Jonas. It's not about the total production. It's about the obvious misses. Mm. You know, the fact that when they don't exploit yeah. the mismatch, when you know that Jonas, we know that he cannot be. He's not going to ever be an all NBA defensive player. We know that. So no. your only option yeah. with him is to make him a viable offensive option so that he can potentially get other people in foul trouble, so he can control the interior, he can yeah. change the pace of the game when he's on the floor, and you have to do that in concert with the personnel that he's on. At this stage, these are the yeah. things that David Griffin, like he should be held accountable for, because you knew this is a four-year problem. You've gotten bigs each time that had a certain limitation. Derek Favors had a limitation. Uh, Steven Adams, limitation. Jonas Valanciunas, limitation. So you knew when you acquired all three of those bigs, none of them were guys who were used to playing more than 30 minutes a game. None of those guys. The first two were defensive specialists. You bring in Jonas, who's much more of an offensive player. And then you don't let him play offense. You have games when he's got six yeah. shots, five shots, four shots. There are games when he's been had, when Herb Jones has had double the shot attempts as Jonas Valanciunas. Yeah. That doesn't ever make sense. Ever, because no matter who you're playing in, the, in basketball, you have to establish an inside presence. You have to, no matter who you're playing. That's why the Pelicans were able to hold on and beat the Oklahoma City Thunder. Is because they have no inside presence. They're the only team probably in the West, maybe outside of Houston, which Sangoon is is. I don't I don't know if we call him an in, interior player, but he's you know big. But yeah, mm. they might be the only team in the West that doesn't have a big that can score. So that's, not, you know, but not using Jonas, again, you're not helping Brandon out. Because if I don't have to respect Jonas, then I can divert all my attention and put it on, on Brandon. When CJ is not there, I can put all my attention on Brandon. And Brandon still, you're not putting him in, how many times have we seen him start the, in, the, in a possession in the mid post? Or the extended high post? No. Where he can use his height and get a quick score. But that doesn't happen. We're, we're always mm. seeing the Pelicans run offense in the sub-10 seconds of the shot clock. And that just is not going to be effective in the long haul. So it's all these things. Like I think as fans, fan bases tend to, to look at one thing and point and gravitate to that thing, and that's their thing. But just like anything in life, it's a machine. And there are gears, big gears, and there are small mm. gears and screws and all these things that go into building this machine. 
And so you got to find every little thing. When the engineer goes back in, they don't look just that it's broken and it's this one thing. No, we need to look at all the parts to make this better. And I think that's what the Pelicans, you have to constantly be looking at all of the things in concert and how one not being good or one being less than it should be impacts the other dominoes in that in that chain. Absolutely, and you make good point. You know, Jonas is brought in to score. He gives you another level of scoring down in that low post. He can shoot the ball as well a bit, enough to be a threat. But then he's taking six shots, and then you wonder why he's like, oh, well, everyone's just jumping all over him on the rebound. It's like, well, he hasn't barely touched the ball the whole game, and then he's getting massacred by these young guys down here jumping all over his head. You can see why he gets frustrated, and then he does a silly foul or something like that because he's sitting there going, I can make this team better, but you just cut off the supply. And I honestly think we have a real issue with entry passes as well. We struggle. It's like, all right, Jonas, get yourself established. Now I'm going to throw it out as deep into the corner as I can and now just bring it back in. And and he's already got the seal. Like, just pass <laughs> like it, it, and I mean I'm not on the court I'm uh, I haven't played professional basketball I can't say that it, it's an easy thing to do I'm sure it's not and I'm sure it's very a lot quicker than uh, I make it out but it is frustrating when you have mismatches and we miss that there was a perfect situation last night I think um I think CJ came down with the ball and completely missed that Trey Murphy had slid back around and was completely open on three and hit Herb Jones instead. And it was like the easier pass was firstly Trey Murphy, but you've hit Herb Jones in the corner who did who, who missed the shot. And when that happens, you know, those are easy advantages that you can take. And when your shooters and when your other players are making themselves available, the awareness from the ball handler to hit that shot or that player in, in movement or in their position is an advantage. You know, you have to hit those shots because that's the better look. And I, I think, again, it comes down to we don't have a point guard. And, what offensive you know, we've you, you talked about this on Spaces. Mm, exactly. You know, we're, we're not putting people in the position. CJ will have seven assists, but a lot of those will come in transition or dump-offs or, you know, he'll hit an open, uh, you know, three-point shooter from his own drive. It's not because they've run a play that has been anything... Um, you know, anything special. It's because he's created it. Um, and, and that's what makes it uh, frustrating at times and stagnant on offense. And it makes it, uh, this whole, if Zion comes back, you know, we'll be okay. Well, th- those issues are still there. We just have another guy who can score 40. <laughs> you know, we're just going to try to outrun him and outscore him. And do you think we are able to be a sustainable team in its current form? Well, this is my question to you, going forward with, the the core that we have i don't think you can and and but that's the nature of building a champion like people think that you're being mean but show me a championship team that built around any players like let's take the golden state warriors and people talk about their patience right well they let's go from the period they drafted when they had the three because clay and, and draymond come in together the same year draymond second round clay first round and and Steph has already been there. But Steph, at the time, you're talking about Steph Curry may not be in the league much longer. Remember, he's ankles. Yeah. Is Steph going to make it? Yeah. And they get him at that super reduced deal, you know, because he wasn't That's making right. Nobody else in the league was going to pay him $30 million at, at that time. 
because he was mm-hmm. always in and out of the lineup with his ankles. But what the Warriors did was say, once they committed to Steph, Clay, and Draymond, and Steve Kerr is the coach, when they did that, everything that they moved around was about making those three guys successful. What don't we have? Yeah. Oh, we need length and defense. We go get Andrew Bogut. We go get JaVale McGee. We go get David West. We go get, you know, we need ball handling on the perimeter. Andre Iguodala, he doesn't have to shoot, but he can handle the ball. He can play defense in transition. They got complimentary players around them. They didn't go out and say, we need a fourth star until Kevin Durant became available in free agency. Not a trade, in free agency. Mm. Everybody they got were role players. And I did a series for Pelican Scoop, and I'm updating it now, the five elements of a champion. You got to have certain things. You got to have all NBA players. You have to be a top defensive team. Pelicans are still top eight officially. But that defense has not been there for some time. We are not, that is not the same Mm. team that we're watching defensively. They're much more close to a middle of the pack defensive team right now. And you have to be a top 10 defensive team legitimately, night in and night out to win a championship. The Pelicans are not that right now. So that means you don't have the roster correct. The three-point shooting, it's, again, it's not about the number. Pelicans got beat the other night by an Oklahoma City team, I mean, by, by a Lakers team that didn't shoot a bunch of threes. They didn't make a bunch of threes last night. Mm. The, the, the loss of Cleveland. Cleveland made 10 threes the entire game. It wasn't the three-pointer that killed the Pelicans. It's the fact that the Pelicans don't generate the right kinds of threes. Like you talk about Trey yeah. Murphy in the corner. How many times does Trey legitimately shoot it from that corner? The Pelicans shoot the fewest corner threes in the NBA. They're shooting two corner threes a game. It doesn't make sense. That's the easiest shot. You're supposed to look for that shot. And that goes back to that point guard. You have not built a roster that takes advantage of the talents of your players. When Najee Marshall is your best penetrator and kick, driving kick guy, that's not going to work for you, you know, over the long haul. So you still have players that you have to fix and guys that you got to move on to get different pieces. I love Larry Nance and his role. He's a guy that I wouldn't move because he's a veteran who does his job. But also yeah. know Larry Nance can't play more than 25 minutes for me. Because we see he's getting beat up already. So I need a power forward center position player who can do that. The Pelicans have known for months that Jackson Hayes wasn't that guy. He's been sitting on the bench for months. Mm. And you did nothing. You could have released him. You could have gotten another guy. It's not about a starter. It's about filling the holes. You have a guy. You have two. And even with Billy Hernan Gomez, who gets a double-double last night, what, 19 minutes? Doesn't matter. Because Billy's playing once out of every six games. So that's essentially a roster spot mm. you're not using. The same with, um, you know, with, with uh, Collison, I mean, um, Garrett Temple. You have a guy on your team who you're, you're essentially yeah. holding a roster spot when you're not good enough to be holding roster spots for people who don't play. So that, to me, is, yeah. is going forward, you need more guys to continue to figure out what your mix is, and that means you have to make changes. Again, we know for the Bucks to win the team that won the championship, the only players left from Giannis's rookie year were him and Chris Middleton. That's the mm. only ones that were left. So if the Pelicans yeah. are going to win a championship within the next three to four years, which has to be their thinking, because you don't, you're, you can't yeah. be bar- banking on the fact that Zion's going to be here for another contract. You have him for this one. This is what you're counting mm. on. This extension is all you're counting on. Yeah. So you got four years to win a title because that last year, if you don't. You're talking about trading Zion, you know, at the end of his contract. Is he going to resign? Yeah. Do we have to trade him? So you got four years, essentially, to win this title. 
If you're going to do that, this is not the roster that's going to bring home a championship. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, another example is is the Raptors. You know, they were that DeMar Rosen, Kyle Lowry, nine years straight, and they did nothing. You know, well, they might have got to Eastern Conference a few times, but they, in terms of rings, they did nothing. You trade a fan favorite, you trade your guy for Kawhi Leonard, and you win a championship. Now people are all like, well, fantastic, let's go have a parade. You know, like that. Championships matter, and I think that is something, particularly when you have A-graders like Zion, like Brandon is on the cusp of becoming, you know, you need to take advantage of that, and you also need to have that sense of urgency. I completely agree. You can't bank on having 10 years of Zion Williamson. You bank on having this Zion right now in this five-year contract. You bank on having this Brandon Ingram for the next two years of this of, of this contract. Because after that, we don't know what situation guys are going to be in. You're going to have, if you decide that you're committing to Trey, committing to, you know, um, Dyson down the track, these guys are all going to be up for extensions. And all of a sudden, if we're not going to pay luxury tax time in, time out for a middle-of-the-road team, there's got to be conversations that are had. And while I love these guys, I love the team, and they've been very good at giving us that um, connection with the players uh, from a fan side of things, it's also a business. And... Winning championships is reaching the pinnacle of this business. Uh, and I think that is something that we need to keep in mind, that if, if this team has enough to go for that, well, sorry to such and such guy that doesn't fit the mould, we need to go and get this player that makes us better. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we can all have a beer afterwards and celebrate the, the Pelicans championship and we'll all be in New Orleans carrying on and, you know... We'll send a postcard to whoever missed out, and you know, oh, he was a good player, but this guy was even, uh, even better because we got the got the ring. But I suppose to finish off, and I appreciate your time. It's been an awesome chat, and um, yeah, really, uh, really enjoyed this. Um, what are your predictions? I suppose we, you know, look into the crystal ball for this season. Um, we've got twenty three games left. We've got the easiest schedule, and I always put out like quotation marks on that because you still got to win the games um, and you still got to have availability and it's all well and good where people are ranked but you know we just had the trade deadline so teams are changing particularly in this west um, if you could look in the crystal ball where do we finish and how does this season play out to you do you think I think now the Pelicans are going to finish 7 through 10 in that area you know I just don't see um, a pathway to getting, I think, you know, I think you're going to have to get more than 45 wins to get in that top six. 
And I don't see how the Pelicans can win more than 15 out of these last. You know, if they go 500 down the rest of the way, you'd have to say that's pretty good for them. Because ultimately, that's the best we've seen from this team with or without Zion. They were only, you know, again, those 29 games of Zion, they were 17 and 12. So it wasn't like they were running away with the league. And so you have to, to, even at first place, I think we all felt that first place was a little inflated at the time because a lot of teams had not hit their stride. It was a great place to be. Hey, you take it while you're there. You don't, you don't apologize for being in first place. But um, there's, like you said, the resettling over the course of this season, uh, that matchup in the first part of the, the play-in is going to tell the whole thing. Who is that team? Because if it's a team with two effective bigs and you don't have Zion Williamson, then Pelicans don't make the playoffs. And you're right back in the lottery. Yeah. And then what are you saying? Because... Now, what do you, mm. I mean, you know, honestly, I think you have to ask some very difficult questions if that becomes your offseason. Does David Griffin, keep, you, I know they won't fire him, but you have to start saying, dude, is the plan going to change? Because this ride it out philosophy can't work then again. Because now you're adding a lottery pick to the mm. mix. The whole thing you were hoping for, the Wimbledon, you're not going to get number one. So now you're somewhere in eight, 10 region in the lottery, 10, 12, maybe even 13 the lottery. At the bottom end of that spectrum, then you're adding another first-round pick salary to this mix. Are you using that first? Yeah. So now you have to really ask: Are we using that first round on a player, or do you want to use this first round, package it with one of our players, and move it and get somebody who can help us today? So I think there have to be some real hard questions, and I think you need to talk to Willie Green too this offseason, regardless about what is the philosophy, what identity is this Pelicans team going to have? Because playing hard is not an identity. That's an expectation for professional athletes. That's your job. Bill Russell said it, and I I quote this all the time. The Boston Celtics didn't pay me to win basketball games. They pay me to win championships. And that's the deal. So if that's going to be the deal, the Pelicans need an identity. And I think that's the question of this season. They can be successful still. They can still win a first-round series. But there are major questions going into the offseason as to whether or not you made a flash in the pan first round appearance that we've seen plenty of teams do over the years good young teams are you building on that or is this the pinnacle with this group and are you about to go make take a backward step because you will never be healthy and you have not put the pieces in place so i think this this no matter what we're headed to make the most every season it becomes more so but now you're at the point of no return because five years in, we'll be at next year, we'll be at year five with this, and you don't have a clear direction, you're in trouble. Yeah. I agree. Uh, David Grubb, everyone, thank you very much for joining us. Where can we find you? And it's been great chatting with you. Honestly, it's uh, it's been much too long. And, um, yeah, fantastic to have you um, on the show. I appreciate it. It's been great talking with you, and I hope we get to do it again. Um you know, folks, you can find me at DM Grub on Instagram, Twitter, Hard and Paint. Um, we're working on some new things. I'm trying to uh, come up with a expansion. So we're doing some big things coming with Hard and Paint. And also, uh, baseball season about to get started. So you can also check check me with MLBBro.com, covering the major leagues. But I'm a little bit everywhere and still doing Tulane basketball as well. So a little bit of sports is I love I love sports I love basketball in particular and I, it's just thank you so much for respecting what I do enough to ask me to be on here I, I appreciate that and I'm always humbled when anybody asks me 
No, the pleasure's all mine. And again, go and check everything out that David's doing. He's a fantastic writer, fantastic voice amongst the Pelicans. And I'm sure across the baseball, I don't follow baseball, but maybe I will since you're covering it. But David, thanks again. And, and guys, everyone out there, this has been the Sports Ethos New Orleans Pelicans podcast. I'm your host, Lyle Swithenbank. At Lyle Swithenbank on Twitter, at Ethos Pelicans. Stay safe. And bye for now. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.